Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Celebrating 25 years as your host for the Garden Hotline. Here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Thank you, George. And welcome, folks. Thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly. If you have any questions, concerns, or comments about your yard, your landscape, your house plants, or anything to do with uh, organics. Well, not anything to do with organics by any means. But you can give a call, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Saturday mornings, we get together and we have a roundtable discussion about what's impacting your backyard. What's going on in the front yard? How about those side yards? Especially garden space. A taste of the tropics, those houseplants or tropicals. What is potting mix? How to improve your soil? Should be should you be pruning right now? Should be shearing anything? How to get rid of those bugs and diseases. Using the information to help you make good decisions. That's what I try to do is give you options, and then it's up to you to make that final judgment. And uh, this is your show, and I certainly appreciate you inviting me into your home, your car, or wherever you are listening. Another very good player, an important player in this game, is Alex. He's producing today. So when you call, Alex will ask your name and where you're calling from, and then we'll just go from there. I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. I've written five gardening books. Two are currently available at various locations or on the Internet, and I write articles for the Missouri Gardener magazine, which is a bi-monthly magazine. I do landscape consulting, and if you'd like for me to come to your home and do a walk and talk, you can go to my website, www.mikemillerdesigns.com. On the homepage has my email address and my phone number where I can be reached. And today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting. Well, back to the walk and talks. Actually, today I have two walk and talks in Belleville, one in eastern Belleville, one in western Belleville. So that's kind of an unusual circumstance, but... Sunrise was pushing through and trying to get rid of the darkness. A trio of giant purple cone flowers were hovering above, along with some huge monarch butterflies. And popping out of the silhouette of the evergreen and deciduous woodies, numerous birds were cheering the day's beginning. Solitary bee house, handcrafted, greets all that comes in this direction. Barrels to catch the water runoff, the storm water runoff, from the roof, hide behind a budding red bud tree. Many perennials are leaping up and saying, Hooray! We're sick of winter time. Sound of cascading water enlightens the morning. The Carl Nelson Cons- Conservation Corner offers a meeting spot. Boulders bounce all over the place. Deck crosses the rocky valley of the rain garden. The purple blooming hen bit was kind of adding some spice to the lawn areas. And brick pavers of the walkway notes that all those who have contributed to Brightside St. Louis. This is a very unique organization here in St. Louis. They, I mean, just go to brightsidestl.org and, uh, 
and just find out what all they do for this city. It's absolutely amazing. So ornamental grasses, they still say it's too chilly for us to push out any new growth. Same with the prairie garden space and the glade garden as well. The side of the building, the skyline of downtown St. Louis and the arch, along with daffodils, are painted. And while real daffodils are blooming and tulips as well, all along Shenandoah Avenue, which is right in the front entrance of Brightside St. Louis. This is an extremely important organization. And, uh, wow, why don't you stop by, just take a look at this great garden on the outside, and why not step inside and just say hello? You might want to, you'll probably be surprised at how many different things go on, and there might be something right there for you. So, Brightside St. Louis, that was a good gardening stroll today. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline back after these messages. Yes, folks, I'll be taking some calls. We've got Chris, William, Nancy, and Larry on the line. But uh, here's a little bit. The University of Missouri Agriculture Department, they do something called the Integrated Pest Management Newsletter. And this past set, or I guess article that they shipped out was on dandelions. So the lowly dandelion has come a long way. We always think of the dandelions probably being a native wildflower, but no, no, no. It is not native to the North America continent even. It's native to Eurasia, and it was known to Arab physicians in the Middle Ages for its herbal properties in aiding digestion. It is also thought that dandelion was first introduced into North America in 1620. The seeds may have been transported aboard the Mayflower and were planted in the colonies as a food crop, with the dandelion leaves providing a source of vitamins and minerals for the early settlers. So who would have thought that this invasive weed was actually brought in on the Mayflower? We're always so concerned about the honeysuckle coming in and what it's done. Think about this dandelion situation. <gasps> oh, it's scary. Oh, well. There's a lot more on the dandelion story, but uh, I'll give it a little bit at a time. Anyway, let's go to Warsome Woods and see what's going on with Chris. Chris, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? Very good. Yeah, congratulations on 25 years, by the way. Well, thank you. I, listen, I now listen to your show all the time, and I love it, and listen to it on podcasts. And also wanted to mention, I just heard you on the dandelion greens. I keep up with, like, um, health foods and stuff, and dandelion greens are really big in the health food industry right now, too. Right. So... so. Um, my question was, I hear you talk about sweet alyssum quite a bit. I planted it last year for the first time around the edges of my gardens. Absolutely loved it. Did exactly what I wanted it to do. Nice carpet of color. Um, and then you said that it reseeds itself. And I'm curious as to, I, I don't know when it's supposed to come back or what I'm supposed to look for in those seedlings. Uh, basically it's a little hard to describe, but, uh, if you remember what the foliage looked like on it, as the seeds are germinating, that's what they'll look like. But uh, none of them have started to germinate yet in my, you know, the places where I know they're going to germinate. But always I just get a couple extra packs and sprinkle them in the areas just to kind of add, you know, initial impact. But, yeah, I was really shocked at how even in pots it will self-seed and come back. And certainly in the, you know, garden spaces it will do the very same thing. When, around here, when does it 
germinate? Uh, it's, you know, it's a little tough to say. It's all going to be related to soil temperatures. And speaking of soil temperatures, the soil temperature is because yellow forsythia is in bloom. This is a time when lots of different things start germinating. Weeds, and it should be really germinating probably, I would think, between now and probably mid to late April. You should start seeing the, you know, the actually germination of the sweet alyssum seeds. Okay. I went ahead and bought some just to, just to have it in certain areas where I know I absolutely want it, but I'm going to be paying attention in other areas that I had it to, to look and see right. um, if it'll come back. So, um, so you said between now and late April? Yeah, I should probably by the it. end of the month it should be germinating. And then probably, uh, let's say, three to four weeks later, you should start seeing the first flowering. Okay, great. And then I had one other question about hyacinths. I have a lot of hyacinths planted. I love it when they come up you know, early, the first thing to come up pretty much. Um, there's a couple of areas where it looks like some of my, in my gardens where the top, so, or the, the top of the soil has gotten washed away and the bulb is almost showing the top half and it didn't really um, bloom. It's got sort of like a really almost like a colored little top on it, but it didn't really bloom, I think, because it's not deep enough. Is there anything I can do with those bulbs, or are they shot? Or, um... uh, probably what I do is, since they're more or less dysfunctional, and they're not going to show, so they're not showing any foliage or anything, because usually it's, it's the like... foliage that erupts first before the flowers. Yeah, on on some of these, it's just like the top is is the color of what the hyacinth flower looks like, but it's not growing its leaves really. It's almost like it's stunted. Yeah, so I would think they're probably not in such good shape. But I would pop a couple out of the ground and just feel them. If they still feel firm, then you know just replant them and plant them deeper. Okay, and maybe hope for the best next year. Though right. I'm probably not going to get anything this year, exactly. right? Exactly. I like hyacinths myself. We've got a couple. You know, in front of our kitchen window, you know, actually in a pot. So, yeah, uh, yeah and it, the hyacinth, no, we're talking no, about the, the fragrant awesome. hyacinth. It's actually the flower of the city of New Orleans, too. Really? Yeah. Fun fact. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Love your show. Well, thank um, you. Appreciate your help. Thank you, and thanks for having me on your show. Let's go now to St. Charles and see what's going on with William. Well, good morning, everyone. Hi, Michael. I hope you're well. Yes. I'm glad. Uh, to make something about the caller just called, I plant alyssum. I've never had to come back, and I just actually bought some yesterday. So do you, do you like the area where it was growing before? Do you turn the soil over or anything? Yeah, and it, it never did come back. I, I usually buy it every year. Yeah, you don't, I mean, if you turn the soil over, the, what happens is the seed's got to be pretty much on the surface. So if you uh -huh. turn things over, you may have actually buried it too deep for it to be able to germinate. The spots where it comes back on mine, I don't do anything at all with that soil whatsoever. It's really in the spaces between my sidewalk and the street. Yeah, yeah, mine too. Um, the question I have is, I just acquired a really nice... Um, Columbine, a yellow one, in honor of the Shriners, you know, little yellow go-karts they have, yes. and all the good work they do. Um, is it too early to put that in? Is it blooming? Is this like the native Columbine with the red and yellow flowers? Uh, this says yellow. Yeah, just yellow only. I would yes. think it's probably a little bit early, but I would think you're probably okay getting it in the ground again. The soil temperature is really getting warm. It's above 55 now, so that's right. consequently... It's probably, you know, adequate. Just make sure that you're putting it in a location that's good for the columbine. 
Because how I noticed. I noticed uh, the long-range forecast says a 40-degree low for next Friday. Well, that's okay. They can, they can handle that. If it was going to be 30 or, you know, 20, then I'd worry about it, but 40 is not a problem. Well, I can cover it with a bucket. Yeah. <laughs> and I also acquired a, a really pretty uh, Easter lily in honor of my grandmother, uh, my maternal grandmother, Lillian. Is it too early to put that in? Uh it's probably just now blooming, isn't it, or is it finished blooming? It's getting ready to bloom, yes. Yeah, I would keep it inside in the pot and enjoy right. the flowers inside. As soon as it finishes flowering, then move it outside in a sunny okay. location. Should I increment it up one pot, maybe? Uh, you don't need to. Okay. Oh, and uh, the last thing, and I can go to the library and read on this. I bought a beautiful orchid yesterday, and I've never had one before. Do you have any suggestions or recommendations? Bright, sunny window. And is really? it an orchid that's growing in potting mix or is it growing in bark? Both. Both. Hmm. Well, it is bark on the top, and I'm, I haven't dug into it yet. Yeah, I bet it's all bark. because So, in other words, that's one that has a symbiotic relationship in its native habitat. So, in other words, it grows on, let's say, fallen trees or on the side of tree trunks and things like that. Oh, really? Yeah. I never so. knew. But basically, what you want to do is keep the keep the bark, you know, kind of moist for a humidity factor. But uh, beyond that, there's really not too much to do. Get some. Well, when I tra- when I transplant it into another pot, no potting soil. Is that your no potting soil, and you don't need to transplant it. Keep it in the small pot. That's the best thing you can possibly do. And get some orchid food at your right. favorite garden center and fertilize it, especially when it's flowering. Okay. This, this is gorgeous. I've never had one before. They are spectacular, aren't they? Yes. All right. Are you are you growing moonflowers this year? I uh, haven't decided what I'm going to do. Michael, I have I have over a hundred seeds I acquired <laughs> from the pot from last year. I'm the frugal gardener. <laughs> have a great day, Michael. Thank well, you. Well, thank you. Yeah, I just you know each year I decide you know kind of. What I'm going to do as far as the major theme, so I haven't decided Moonflowers is going to be it or not. Let's take another call, and it's Nancy in Melville. Hi, Nancy. Hi, Mike. Um, I have a question. I have a, I think it's a majestic palm that I brought in over the winter, and then I also have a croton. Sounds Mm -hmm. like crouton, but it's not. Yeah, croton. Um, The variegated, yeah, croton. With all kinds um, of spectacular colors and stuff on the list. Yes, and it was pretty full over the summer, but bringing it in and trying to water it once every two weeks or whatever leaves drops, so it kind of looks like a Charlie Brown Christmas tree. Do I, when can I take those out and leave them out, and do I need to prune up the sticks that don't have leaves on them? The sticks that don't have leaves, you might as well just cut them off, so they're not going to okay. have any leaves. All right, but if there is leaves like down below, do I just cut to where the leave is coming out? Yes, exactly. Okay. And you can move them out. Just watch out. If you move them out, don't put them in any kind of any direct sun. No, even early morning sun, they could get sunburned. So put them in a totally shaded circumstance or at least part shade. No sun, not even early morning sun. Because I moved a couple of my tropicals out early, earlier than I usually do, and they got sunburned. And I, I have them on the north side of the house. Usually I put them out after the street trees and sugar maples have leafed out. I got them out earlier because I always like to play around with stuff and see what's going to happen. And uh, I sunburnt a lot of the foliage. Okay. And is it okay to like just kind of shape up my boxwoods? I wouldn't be like cutting them super short, but can I like 
browned them up? Is that I would probably wait until a little bit later, maybe okay. towards the you know mid at least mid April, and maybe a little bit later than that. You know, between mid April and the first of May, do your pruning on boxwood at that time. Okay, and I also realized that I don't know how long like knockout roses, the bushes, um, actually their life expectancy, but um, you know, I, I trim it back. Um, you know, each year. So I see the new growth coming, but I also see the dead wood and I can see like one of them has like a, like it's hollow. Like, you know, I just don't know if it's time to pull those out and replace them, but I thought, well, we'll just let it go and see how they bloom this year. But for the past, oh, I don't know, three years or better, um, the leaves look like Swiss cheese and I don't know if that's a, a bug or what. So um, since I see new growth, should I like put the holes around it and put organic matter in there or do i use the rose fertilizer and do that well you can you can add i'm assuming they're in the ground so you can add the compost into the soil by okay. you know augering the holes or whatever but also use rose food and as soon as the you know the new growth is about uh between one and two inches that's when you should start fertilizing okay with rose right. food i appreciate it thank you mike have a great day you do the very same thing mike miller kmox garden hotline back after these messages Yes, folks, any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Yellow forsythia is in bloom. What does that mean? That means get your pre-emergence down now. The pre-emergence you put down now are for the warm season weeds. Now, the cool season weeds are in bloom and everything else. So if you're driving along the road and you start seeing like a giant patch of something that has Purplish flowers, well, that is henbit. That's a cool season weed that actually germinated last late August, early September. And if, to kill that, you should have put the pre-emergent down at that time. But now you're going after crabgrass and all those other summer annual weeds. So what happens is these annual weeds, they grow along like the cool season ones that are blooming right now. They grew along all through the wintertime and everything else. And then they explode in flower and drop zillions of seeds and then they disappear when it gets hot because they're cool season annual lovers let's put it that way and then the seeds are there doesn't matter what you do or anything else and they won't germinate until next august so that's the whole thing now what you're trying again putting the pre-emergent down now you've got really between now and let's say mid-april or not yeah mid-april maybe a little bit later to get the pre-emergent down to control the seeds as they are germinating. So that's what you're going to try to do. Let's head out to Park Hills and into Larry's yard. Hi, Larry. Uh, good morning, Mike. Your lead-in was actually pretty good with my question. I'm doing some lawn maintenance, and the question I have is I'm trying to put you know new seed in, but also I do have some weed control that I need to do. Is there any types of weed killers that I can use and still get my seeds to come up, my grass seed. Not a pre-emergent. I mean, there are a few types of pre-emergent, but they're very expensive, and they're not going to be readily available. But if you're trying to, you know, control, let's say, the summer, you know, the warm season weeds, and you put that pre-emergent down for the fact that you're going to try to control those, it's going to kill your grass seed as it germinates, too. Right. That's kind of been the... the the quandary that I've been in trying to get this stuff under control and get things reestablished. Right. I would say probably maybe skip the pre-emergent, try to get your lawn thicker. That's going to help. And also 
don't cut your grass too short because that really enables the weeds to, let's say, be a little bit more invasive than what they really should. Right. So yeah, I normally cut it like three and a half, four inches. Okay, then you're fine as far as lengthwise. Okay, it's just me of trying to get. Yeah, part of it's also crabgrass starts invading, and then it's like it wins all the time. So oh, absolutely. And it's just it's been this battle I've been up against. So, okay, well, listen, I sure appreciate your show, and have a great day. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. And, yeah, I appreciate you having me on your show because it's really very, very important that, uh, you know, there's listeners. If there wasn't listeners, I wouldn't have a show. Some of the other warm season weeds that are going to be germinating right now when the yellow forsythia is in bloom and for about the next two weeks is ragweed, knotweed, lamb's quarter, carpetweed, crabgrass, barnyard grass, foxtail, the violets. I've even, there's a lot of, some violets are already been, you know, have been germinating. So just realize that that's the warm season weeds that we're trying to kill with a pre-emergent this time of year. So let's go now to Betsy, and Betsy lives in Columbia. Hi, Betsy. Betsy, you there? Nope. Oh, let's go to Sandy's yard, and she lives in Belleville. Hi, Sandy. Hi, uh, Mike. This is Sandra Jackson. I live in Ellisville, actually. I'm at work today. Oh, Ellisville. <laughs> yeah. And you did a walk and talk at my house um, oh. Oh, a few months ago, um, maybe in the fall or something. And I have a little garden in front, and my dogwood is dying, and of course it's dead now. And you said it was the wrong kind of plant there anywhere. Do you have any idea what dogwood I should replace that with? You could maybe try a different variety of dogwood. Try the kusa, the Japanese dogwood. They seem to be a little bit tougher, even though you'd think the native one was tougher. But if you if you like the dogwood, the kusa dogwood blooms a little bit later than the native dogwood, and its petals okay. have a white or have a point. The petals are white, and they're pointed rather than rounded off. Another okay. option. Another option would be looking at the service berry, the amelanchier, and not the shrub type, but the tree type. They bloom in the. Yeah, they really, they're really pretty tough, so maybe think about that one. Okay. Um, will you spell Kusa for me? K-O-U-S-A. So, oh, okay. I had it really wrong. Okay. So it's Cornus, Thank you. The botanical name is Cornus, C-O-R-N-U-S, and then Kusa. Okay. Okay. Got it. I'm going to go looking for that. All right. And any spatial instructions since I just had the other tree pulled out? Uh, basically... That one spot, just make sure when it's installed that, you know, about uh, 15 to 20% of the top of the root ball is above the surrounding ground. Yeah, you told me that. That's great. Right. And then put you're going to put a little bit of soil, you know, over the top of the root ball, and then you're going to put about uh, two to three inches of mulch over the top of that. Oh, uh, any certain kind of mulch, you just get it from your place to place. Yeah, same as composting. Yes. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Certainly. I'm going to have a new tree. <laughs> <laughs> well, <good luck. laughs> thank you. Yeah. Bye-bye. And let's go now to Festus and see what's going on with Jan. Hi, Jan. Hi. Um, I've got a question about bamboo, and I have checked it online, and it doesn't give me much hope. How do I get rid of bamboo without poisoning the surrounding soil? Uh, base, you know, 
It all depends on how bad you can dig it if you want to. Is this the golden groove, the real one of the invasive ones? Is that what we're talking about? It's very invasive, and I've tried digging, and it's been there for six years. <laughs> well, bamboo is a grass. So what you can do is just as soon as the new growth starts coming up, which looks like asparagus, just take some, I would use Roundup, unless you're just totally opposed to Roundup, and just paint it right on those spears as they come up out of the ground. Okay. And just each, I mean, it's painful, but that's about the only way you're really going to start getting it under control. And then cut off anything, you know, that's not new growth. Just cut it down as, you know, as low as you possibly can. I know if you're a long-time listener, you've heard the story of where I brought, when I worked at the Botanical Garden, I worked in the English Woodland Garden, but we helped out for the Japanese festival and things like that. I took some uh, Golden Groove bamboo roots to my parents' yard in Ellisville and planted them, and my father was haunted by it forever. (laughs) And for a Father's Day present, I'd have to go out and dig bamboo roots. (laughs) Yes. It got uh, probably like... 80 or 90 or 100 feet long and about 20 feet wide. My mother loved it because the birds loved it, but boy, my father, he just, he couldn't stand it. It's just, it's invaded all of our garden around it. I put it there just because it was, it it fit in the theme then, not realizing how invasive it was. Right. It is extremely invasive. Right at first, it's, you don't know what's going on underneath the ground. It sends those underground rhizomes and, I mean, they, it can send up shoots, you know, 10 or 15 feet away from the old cane. So it's, oh, at least, yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing, yeah. Okay, I'll try the Roundup and see how that goes. But beyond that, I just have to dig it out, right? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, okay. you could try a grass killer, too, if you prefer not to use it, because it is a grass. So, it, you know, a grass killer will only kill grass. It won't kill any kind of broadleaf plants or anything else. Okay, but I, I, think, peri- I would think I have, peri- you know, I have periwinkle right around it yeah. in, in the garden next to it, so I don't want to kill the periwinkle. Right, so I would, again, just paint it right on it, and I'd probably use Roundup for killing woody plants as opposed to just the regular Roundup. Oh, okay. Because it has a woody stem. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it really does. Okay, thank you very much. Certainly. Yeah, it's uh and actually my parents have passed away and the host the home or the house has been sold. So consequently I drive by the street when I have appointments uh in Ellisville, the bamboo's still there. <laughs> Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. If you have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. I don't know if you were listening earlier, but uh, the dandelions. The University of Missouri have this uh, newsletter that they send out, and to realize that the pilgrims brought the dandelion seeds over from Europe, Eurasia, with them. So that is really invasive. They, you know, the dandelions have spread across the continent. Native people soon learned to use dandelions in several ways. In the Northeast, they actually made tea out of the dandelion roots, which would treat heartburn. And people, flowers and everything else. Also, all of those myths associated with those dandelion seed heads. 
for example, after one strong puff, all the seeds are gone, and uh, you are loved. And the some remain. Well, that's intended for you know. You have some doubts. Young girls would blow the seed head, and the number of seeds left indicated the number of children she would bear later in life. And for elders, the number of seeds left on those puffy seed heads represented the numbers of years they had to live. Whoa. Man, these dandelions are just super insightful. As kids, you know, growing up in Ellisville, 200 people when we moved out there, but there was a lot of dandelions. We used to love to kick them. So that was great fun that way. So let's see what we got as far as calls go. Sandy in Belleville? No. Oops, sorry. We already talked to Sandy. Let's say Kate in Webster Groves. Hi, Kate. Hi, how are you? Good. Good. Hey, I had a question I have a small little rock garden in our backyard, maybe like six by four. It's small. I usually plant herbs like basil does really well there, Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm looking for something. What else can I plant? It's full sun. We planted zucchini last year, which did great, but it grew all over the yard. Right. So I'm, yeah, so I'm looking for something that will do well, that doesn't need a lot of space, but will also, um, you know, come up with some pretty good results in a quick amount of time. Uh, basically, you might try some of the varieties of sedum, like sedum okay. dragon's blood. That would be certainly one. If you don't mind something that would creep a little bit, the creeping thyme would work in that situation as well. Any vegetables you can think of? Uh, vegetables in rock gardens usually, you know, I mean, they're not, maybe this is not kind of a rock garden that I think of, but... For the most part, I would just experiment around. You found out what the zucchini is going to do. If uh, yeah. as long as you're going to keep up with it, maybe try a couple tomatoes, like the grape tomatoes. Tomatoes, okay, okay. And because I mean, they need moisture and they need the tomato food and everything else. But that's going to be uh, certainly an option that you might give a try. Okay, great, grape tomatoes, and um, I mean, we definitely have soil under there, obviously, but right. just the top. Just because it's so low-maintenance, and that's kind of of how I want to keep it that way, low-maintenance. Well, tomatoes are not low-maintenance. They're not low-maintenance. Any any other vegetables that you can think of that would be low-maintenance? Because zucchini, that was really pretty easy, other than the fact that it just grew all out. Yeah, I mean, but still, you know, for most of them that are going to be, let's say, the classic, other than sort of the viney stuff that grows along the ground, Uh uh, it's going to take some effort and some work on your part. Okay. Maybe, you know, well, I would say there's not, to me, there's no vegetables that are really low maintenance. If you had good luck with the zucchini, did you get actually food off of them or fruit? Tons. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. Yeah, they were great. It just, they just kind of invaded the yard, which is fine. It's just that the little (laughs) spot is so small. But yeah, we got, I mean, we got tons. It was awesome all summer. Yeah. Maybe think about growing Roma tomatoes, R-O-M-A. They're the ones that produce... You know, tomatoes all at once, and then that's the end of them as far as... Oh, great. Then you don't have to worry about okay. multiple seasons and or multiple weeks, multiple months of taking care of them. Oh, perfect. Yeah, we'll try that. Roma right. tomatoes. Okay, awesome. Thanks so much. Yep. And then you can make some uh, salsa, tomato sauce, and whatever else. So thank yeah, you. Yeah, totally. And, all right, great. Thanks. Yep, and now let's go to Litchfield and see what's going on with John. Hi, John. Hey, good morning, Mike. Uh, a couple of quick questions. And then I'll hang up and listen. Uh, a few years ago, I had the good fortune to go out to Rogers Flower Garden out in Southern California. 
and I just was so impressed with the beauty of the bougainvillea. Uh, my question is, is there anything we can grow in central Illinois that comes close to that kind of beauty that's hardy enough? And second, same kind of question about crepe myrtle, which I love, but I, I don't know if it'll stand up to uh, central Illinois. What What's your thought on that? Bougainvillea? Yeah, Bougainvillea, you're never going to find anything that compares. I mean, there's just nothing that does. Because the bloom, the length of bloom virtually in Southern California almost blooms year-round in huge amounts of flowers. The only thing that would possibly come close would be something like a sweet autumn clematis, which blooms only in the late summer, early fall, and it does bloom for six or eight weeks or so. But it is, you know, considered somewhat invasive. And as far as, let's see, what was the other one? I can't. Oh, crepe myrtle. Crepe myrtle should do fine. Just realize that some years, if we have a severe winter, all the stems could get killed down to the ground, but it'll reemerge from the root system. But crepe myrtle is hardy for, for this really entire region. So maybe a little bit further north. I don't think it can survive, in, let's say, in Chicago, maybe not even Peoria. But Litchfield's not that far away, and you should be able to have some good luck with crepe myrtle there. Let's go now to Troy, Missouri, and into Kay's yard. Hi, Kay. Good morning. How Hi. are you? Very good. Thank you. I want to thank you for your show. We always enjoy it. Well, thank you for having me on uh, your question. show. <laughs> the question that we have is that we recently purchased a piece of property in Troy. Uh, it's a few acres, and we have a lot of deer uh, in the wooded area around the property, and they're continually on the property. We want to do some landscaping, and I was wondering if you could tell me some plants uh, and things that are good for landscaping that the, maybe the deer don't like as much as they like a lot of the other things. <laughs> Basically, anything that has thorns on it, so like okay. rose, you know, like knockout roses, those type of things should be, you know, you should be able to grow those. Uh, anything okay. with like a prickly leaf, like holly, mm -hmm. they seem to stay away from those kind of things. But anything with a lush growth, that type thing, they're gonna, you know, they're gonna go after. Yeah. It. So there's no getting okay. around it. So like, let's say hawthorn trees that have the thorns on them, they may, you know, in, eat the tips, but they're not gonna. I mean, they're not gonna be devastating. Use they don't like. So that's because of the prickliness of the actual needles of the yew. And uh, okay. I mean, even you know, even though there's in theory a lot of plants that are considered deer proof. If it's a severe winter, they're going to get anything they possibly can because a right. lot of it's moisture content or anything else. But you might consider those. And then go to the Missouri Botanical Garden website and mobot.org. And then I think they have a whole listing of things to consider as far as uh, that are deer proof. But anything like okay. barberry that have a lot of thorns on anything that you – or yuccas, which uh, – you know, they don't generally. Yeah, eat I'm not. I'm not big on. I'm not big on them. But I've had barberries in the past. Right. We do love knockout roses and the holly. Uh, we've had real good luck with those in the past. So those are those are two good recommendations. Great. And like I said, anything where the the edge of the leaf is prickly is uh, uh -huh. it's going to be a deterrent. That's not to say they okay. won't go after it, but at least it'll keep them to a minimum. To a minimum. Right. Okay. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate all the information. Right. Well, thank you. And now let's go to Dorothy in Fenton. Hi, Dorothy. Good morning. Hi. I don't know if you'll be able to help me with this problem. 
Yesterday, I came outside <clears throat> by my front porch, and in the very corner where the, for- the front porch and the foundation of my house, there was this all this rock and ground all dug up, and I could see there was the, the bottom of my foundation of, of my porch, and I don't know what kind of critter this is. I called the pest control and they're giving me a name of an amandrillo or a possum or a skunk. Uh, armadillo. Armadillo? Yeah, I don't think it's armadillo. Maybe it is, but uh, it would be a pretty darn big hole. But what my guess is, growing up in Ellisville, what we had underneath our front porch, right kind of at the same intersection where the front porch and the foundation met, was chick, uh, chipmunks. Chipmunks do yes. that much damage? Well, I mean, they they dig. They got to get underneath there. So I don't know how you know the size of this, but uh, that would be I, without seeing it or anything else. What you can do is you know set a trap out there and put some like peanut butter and Velveeta cheese or something inside the live trap type thing and see if you can catch it. But my thinking is it might just be chipmunks. Okay, that sounds better than a, whatever that other guy is. Yeah, the armadillo, I, I don't know. Maybe it could be an armadillo, but, uh, I mean, they are migrating from the south. There's no getting around it. But I don't know if uh, if you've not seen them at all. Look online and f- see. I haven't, seen, like, I haven't seen the uh, chipmunk out there. Yeah, well, they, I mean, they kind of stay away. As soon as they hear your your door open or whatever, they kind of run. So, uh, yeah, I've had, I've seen that before. Yep. Well, thanks That's a lot, done. and everybody, we got another hour of the show. So, see you after the news. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, celebrating 25 years as your host of the Garden Hotline. Here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome to the Garden Hotline, and it's the tip of the trial hour. I'll be giving the tip of the trial shortly, but right now you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with your ideas, questions, comments, concerns, or whatever it happens to be. And by the way, thanks for having me on your show. We can discuss plant selection. Boy, the pansies... I got uh, got them early, and they are just absolutely striking. It was amazing. Now, they're going through the second phase of flowering for some of the varieties, but uh, they're coming back and really look good. So the cool season annuals. How about your bulbs, your daffodils, your tulips, your crocus, anything like that, you should be fertilizing as soon as the foliage, you know, really earlier on you should have fertilized them. But continue fertilizing them about every... <coughs> every month, three or four weeks now, until finally the foliage starts turning brown and then you can stop fertilizing. How about edibles, ground cover? Speaking of edibles, a lady who called in about uh, vegetables in her rock garden area, a a lady called in and said, how about okra? You can try some okra because it doesn't spread, you know, it's not really all that problematic. Uh, Your lawn, your perennials, your roses, your trees, your shrubs, your vines, your water gardens. I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, or opinions is not the only garden path to take, but strictly offered to you uh, to consider. And Alex is producing today, so he's taking you know, phone calls right now. So call with your name and where you're calling from, and uh, we'll kind of go from there. During the week, I spend my time landscape consulting, which I call a walk and talk. 
So if you'd like for me to come to your home and take a look from an aesthetic standpoint, problem solving, or let's say varieties of plants that maybe you an area that you want to start developing, I can recommend plant material as well. You can go to my website, www.mikemillerdesigns.com. The homepage will have my email address and phone number, and we can schedule a walk and talk. Uh, walk and talks today after the show, two in Belleville. And uh, what I do during the walk and talk, I share 40-plus years experience um, in the outdoors professionally and everything else. Started off uh, schooling in California, came back to St. Louis uh, because a botanical garden offered me a job in 77. So that's when I came back. Tip of the trial is a special recognition for individual group or a situation that's made an impression on me and is brought to you by St. Louis Composting. 636-861-3344. Tip of the trial goes out to all the neighborhood dog walkers who are nice enough to carry that plastic bag with them and pick up the dog waste after they, you know, their dog has, I mean, they have to. But uh, anyway, there's certainly circumstances where some people don't, but the majority of people are very, very conscientious. Now, tip of the trial goes out to Forest Relief of Missouri, the Arbor Day Foundation, who've partnered with the Enterprise Rent-A-Car Foundation to plant 350 trees in the in St. Louis in one particular ward. But if you've noticed, there's been a lot of trees removed, street trees and everything else. What it is, is we're trying to eradicate this problem with the emerald ash borer. So the ash trees are being taken down, and now there's a lot of them are being replanted. So what happens is... And this project's going to take place in Ward 9, which is near Benton Park in South St. Louis. They're going to fi- over 500 ash trees were removed along the residential streets due to this invasive emerald ash borer. The arch grounds took theirs down several years ago. And what they're doing is replacing trees with a diversity of native species, which will help mitigate the loss of 14% of the tree canopy in these neighborhoods. So... All over, you know, I live near Christie Park. The same thing has happened. The trees have been planted. But this is really a specific one with Forest Relief of Missouri, the Arbor Day Foundation, and as as I said, partnered with Enterprise Rent-A-Car Foundation, and they're going to be planting 350 trees. So nearly 100 Enterprise employees will join with the Arbor Day Foundation and Forest Relief of Missouri to plant these trees, and it's going to be just a cool thing. It's called Enterprise Urban Initiative and invests in cities de- devastated by natural disasters, such as these trees having to be removed. So the tip of the trial, again, goes out to all the people that are going to help plant 350 trees. So Forest Relief of Missouri, Arbor Day Foundation, and Enterprise Rent-A-Car Foundation. Wow. Greatly appreciated. So tip of the trial goes out to them. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Questions, comments, or concerns. And uh, watch out for your grass. You know, it's going to start growing, so don't let it get too long because this is a time of year when fungus can get a foothold, and then it's going to be a battle constantly to get that lawn fungus under control. Next Saturday, Alex, who's producing the show today, and I are going to be in Fenton. We're going to be at Stuckmeyer, or Stuckmeyer's 
Farm and Market, which is on uh, Schneider Road near the intersection of 141 and Highway 21. So if you know the place along there, and if you don't, you're headed down there to just kind of visit with us as we're doing this show next Saturday, the Garden Hotline. You'll see a huge pink elephant on the 141. That's where Stuckmeyers is. It's down off the road a little bit, so... Should be fun. I'm looking forward to it. And there's a big farm behind it, and I'm looking forward to seeing their greenhouses as well. Speaking of Fenton, Susan lives in Fenton. Hi, Susan. Good morning. I've got a question about azorgia grass. Should I burn it at this time? Uh, I don't think you can burn it in Fenton, can you? I live out in unincorporated. Okay, so... Yeah, I mean, get it done ASAP because it's really starting to green up. You should have probably done it a little bit sooner. But, yeah, I mean, if you can't burn it because you live in an area that doesn't allow outdoor burning, what you want to do with your first cut, your first mowing of your zoysia grass is put your mower as about as low as you can possibly get it. You don't want to scalp the ground but uh, and then bag all those clippings. But, yeah, this is the time when you want to get it burnt. Does it need to be raked also? Uh, if you burn it, usually that's going to kind of take care of it. You don't have to rake it, but what I would do is I, I'm saying that, take after you finish the burn, go out there with a leaf rake and just see how much debris there is to rake up. All right. Thank you very much. Yep. And anybody else has questions, concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. This is a season when lots of different things are going on. I want to remind everybody, whether it's an organic product or inorganic product, and whether you've used it in the past or not, please read and then reread all the labels. Whether it's a fertilizer, insecticide, fungicide, herbicide, it doesn't matter. And do that before the application. Because some products have been somewhat reformulated, even though you've been using it for a long time. Please read it. You're going to get the best results by doing it exactly like they say with those labels. I mean, these companies have been fooling around with this stuff for a a long time before it could even be released to the public. And so when they're saying to do it this way, there's a reason for that. Also, uh, we we live near Christie Park, across the street from it, actually. And the other day, I didn't know that, you know, Blue Jays, you hear them screaming all the time. But we've got the sugar maples as street trees. There was a blue jay, and I'm assuming it's a male. I don't know that for sure. But uh, they were the blue jay was coming along, and it was snapping off little branches, little twigs of the maple tree, and then flying off with them. So I'm assuming it was building a nest. I didn't realize that they actually broke, you know, small branches off trees to make the nest. And speaking of nest, actually on a corner of our guttering. In our house, we have morning doves that are, have been nesting there. At first, uh, I thought, oh, man, they're just kind of sitting up on the gutter. I didn't know what was going on. And then all of a sudden, within like two days, they had a full nest made, and now they're sitting on there on that constantly. So that's really kind of a great, fun thing. And uh, canine lovers, well, guess what? Fences where your dog runs and everything else, you're never going to get grass to grow there. I mean, give up. You can spend a huge amount of money. You can do all this other stuff, but it's just not going to happen. So realize that. So maybe think about putting a mulch down that would be dog-friendly. St. Louis Composting does have a dog, a pet-friendly mulch, and uh, so give up. I mean, 
you can aerate, and let's put it this way. If weeds don't grow where your dog runs, then you're never going to get anything else to grow there. So just be conscious of that. Uh, Dolores lives in Fenton, or Florissant, sorry. Dolores, how are you? I'm fine. I just want to find out two things. When do you fertilize and when do you plant grass seed? Uh, basically, as long as you're not putting a pre-emergent down now, the soil is warm enough because the forsythia is in bloom, so you can put the seed down now and use a seed starter with it. If you wanted to, if you can, putting a uh, like a quarter-inch layer of compost on top of the seed and then putting the fertilizer down, that would be the ideal circumstance. Okay. Thank you. Yep. So this is the time to get it done. And you want to get it done uh, so it can get well-established. In other words, the seed will germinate. It will get its root system down into the ground before the heat of the summertime. And especially, I'm assuming that you're going to be doing like a cool season type seed. Always get a blend, whether it's a fescue blend or not. If you can get a uh, bluegrass blend, uh, usually they're not available. But if they are, any blend is going to be better than just a single type of any kind of seed. Gail lives in Kirkwood. Hi, Gail. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Sure. We have a large pin oak tree that was taken down, and they are going to grind out the stump. Mm -hmm. I know I can't plant a seed there, but it's kind of in the middle of a garden, and I want to know what to do to the soil so I can maybe get some flowers in or something. It's going to be really, really tough. I don't know how large the tree was or anything else, but even if they grind the stump out, get as much of that chips out of there as you possibly can. But still, there's going to be a huge amount of wood underneath the surface of the ground. And that's going to make it very difficult for anything to grow. I don't know if this is a possibility where you could set some large pots in that area and for a year, a couple years, because it's, the root systems don't know that they have been beheaded. So, in other words, even if the stumps ground out, that that's more of something for people. It doesn't really do anything for, let's say, starting the imploding of the root system. And so it's gonna, they're going to keep absorbing nutrients and moisture and everything else. And then even as the root system starts to die, the wood of the root system will actually inf interfere with uh, nutrient availability for any other plants. So that's kind of where you're, you're kind of a, in a stuck circumstance. Okay, it's 42 inches across. Whoa! You know, yeah, I know. So I guess I've just put pots there for a couple of years. That yeah, work. you're better off to do that than, you know, kill yourself. Even, can even cannas, would they still uh, it? You could try, but I would think you're better off to put the cannas in a pot. Okay, all right, great. Thanks again. Yep. Yeah, cannas, elephant ears, even those bulb things. It is, just go out there and dig around a little bit. I think you're going to find the fact that it is solid wood. And uh, solid wood is not so good for trying to grow. It's like trying to grow uh, a plant on your deck, <laughs> basically. So Barb lives in South County. Hi, Barb. Hi, how are you? Good. Got a question. Had took out two knockout roses last fall because they had witch's broom. Ooh. I've bought some David Austin roses. Can I put them in the spot where I took these two roses out? Uh, now, are you sure it wasn't Rose Rosette? It was the um, red. W red twigs with lots of thorns on them? Yes. Yeah, Rose yeah. Rosette. It's transmitted by uh, spider mites, basically. So wherever they were blown in from, that's not to say that, you know, they could be blown in, you know, from someplace else, the same place, and get onto these guys. So it's not the fact that there's something in the ground or anything else. The rose rosette, again, is transmitted by wind-blown spider mites. So you could try it, 
but uh, just understand that you may end up getting the rose rose, rose rosette again. But I have other knockout roses, and they don't have that. Well, they just got lucky that the spider mites didn't get blown to them. Oh, okay. So it, the spider mite lands on the rose that's, you know, and then they start, they stick their proboscis in their Let's say they're where they sat, you know, suck. Mm-hmm. And then what's on their proboscis is that's where the rose rosette disease is. It's on them. And there's nothing you can do to stop that because I did spray them and everything and it didn't seem to work. No. <laughs> Once rose rosette happens, it's that's kind of it. So, I mean, even someplace like the Arch Grounds, they had, you know, some roses, some knockout roses. And they were right up near the old courthouse and everything else. And once the rose rosettes started showing up, they just, you know, they took them out. There's just not really anything. I mean, you can look online, but there's nothing that really will get rid of that problem. Okay. Also, I have some obelisks in the yard with clematis on them. Mm-hmm. Could I take some uh, climbing roses that I just bought and put them in with the clematis? Uh, the only problem with that is clematis like an alkaline soil, so in other words, one where the pH is above 7, and the roses don't like the soil that alkaline. So you're kind of putting two plants close together that really kind of have a, one likes salt, the other one likes vinegar, and sometimes it's a little tough to make sure that each one is getting exactly what it needs. Okay, then I won't do that. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. Well, thank you, and thanks to everybody. 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Back after these messages. Back to the phones we go. If you have questions, concerns, comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Kevin lives in Chesterfield. Hi, Kevin. Good morning, uh, I've got three plants. i got a blackberry, a blueberry, and an iris that I'd like to talk about. Okay. So I'll ask about the iris, which I transplanted from a previous house, and it had been blooming. And since I've been here now, going on three years, I can't seem to get it to do any blooming. So I'm just curious to see if you have any ideas what might be causing that. It may be age, because the fans, once they, it's not the moving or anything else, it could have been, you saw it blooming at the previous location because that was its last year. But uh, they do get old enough that they just don't produce any flowers anymore. Okay. And uh, the only other thing I could say is that, you know, the soil that it's in is not very deep. And let's just say that it's more of a ground cover where they threw a little bit of rock down and they threw some dirt over it. <laughs> so I don't know if that might have some problem with why it's not wanting to Well, come that either. might be part of it. But pretty much iris, because in the tuber you've got, I'm assuming it's the classic flag type iris, that tuber, that root system can be almost, the top of it can be visible. So they can grow really in pretty shallow soil and do pretty well. Okay, so just look for a new one then, right? Right. Okay. Um, got a blueberry bush a few years ago, and, you know, it's growing, but um, I did a little bit of reading. I guess I'm supposed to put some sort of a, um, a nutrient, which would be, I think they said, like a, um, um, a, a acidic-type product on it to help Exactly, it. iron sulfate. You've got to change the soil pH. They need a very, very, very acidic soil. So that you change the pH with the sulfur, and then the plant needs iron to do well. Blueberries are a little tough here. Okay, and any type of product that you would... No, it just, it. just so it says iron sulfate, or you can just get a fertilizer that says acid-loving plants. Okay, acid-loving. Okay, acid-loving. Okay, and then the blackberry, kind of a very similar type pattern. 
Uh, they don't need the acidity like the blueberries do. Uh, pretty much, they're t- they're kind of tough. Um, I mean, I grew up in Ellisville, and we used to have just blackberries growing along the woods all over the place there. So just yeah. so it's a well-drained soil and just routinely, you know, let's say through the growing season, fertilize it about once a month. And that's and probably if you're serious about any or all these, I'd get a soil test done, find out what there is in the ground there so you can make the adjustments accordingly. Anybody in particular that does those tests? Yeah, I don't. You live in Chesterfield, so there's a University of Missouri office in Kirkwood that you can drop the sample off, or you can go online and just check it and see if you can mail the sample in. They'll tell you how much, how to take the sample and everything else. Okay, great. Thanks for helping. Yep. And now Joanne lives in South County. Yes, I have a magnolia tree that has a branch really close to the bottom of the trunk that's growing out, and I don't like it down there. Is it okay to trim that off now? Uh, you can. I mean, it's a, doesn't it doesn't have flowers on it right now? No. It's oh, just this is the evergreen type, so it blooms in the summertime? Right. Yeah, so no, I would say go ahead and do it. If it's a long branch, cut it off in sections with the last cut being about, leave a stub of, of about a quarter inch long. Quarter inch long, at, at right at the trunk, huh? Yeah. And okay. so the reason why I'm saying cut it off in sections so it doesn't tear the bark. A lot of times people try to just cut it off, and then the bark gets torn, and then that causes potential disease or bacteria problems. Uh-huh. This one isn't too old. I've only had it about three years. Okay. So if the branch is not longer than six feet or so, then just you know make the one cut, and it should be enough. Okay, good. And I have another question. Um, neighbors have their entire front yard full of those weeds that have the little purple flower on yeah, them? Yeah, the hen bit. Is that hen bit? Is that what that's called? H-E-N-B-I-T. It's actually in the mint family. If you feel the stem, the stem is square. Oh, okay. It's an annual weed that germinates basically like last, early, uh, last August or early September. Okay, how do I get rid of it? If it's in your yard, now you can't really do too much. I mean, you can go out there and kill it, but it's already probably dropped a ton of seeds. So next August, mid to late August, get a pre-emergent and put the pre-emergent down. On the where the, It's just by the street side, you know, between the sidewalk and the street. Right. It's blown down the street and right into that area right there. I don't have it in my yard, but that area, but it looks terrible. So uh, there's no other weed killer that I could put down to kill that, huh? A pre-emergent is the best way to do it. I mean, you could kill it now if you want to, but it, you know, just I'm telling you that it's already dropped a bunch of seeds. So even if you kill all the mother plants, the heat will kill them anyway. But you kill all the mother plants right now, and there's still going to be seeds. So it's still going to, you know, the seeds that have already dropped are going to lay there until August, and then they're going to start germinating. That's why I'm saying use a pre-emergent. You can go ahead and spray them if you want to right now with any kind of broadleaf weed killer. It'll kill them. But seeds are already dropped and ready to go for this August slash September. Okay, so when do I put that pre-emergent down? Mid to late August. Oh, I put it down then? Yes. This is a cool season weed. So it germinates in August, grows all through the winter, starts flowering when, you know, the days get a little bit longer. So it's not a warm season weed. There's two different types of annual weeds. This one that's blooming purple right now is a cool season weed. Oh, okay. 
Okay, well, thank you very much. You've Certainly. been very helpful. Well, thank you. And now let's head over to Highland, Illinois, and see what's going on with Dave. Hi, Dave. Hey, Mike. Morning. Good hey, morning. I got a question on um, um, insects that are safe to put in your garden areas that eat other insects, like praying mantis or nematodes. What do you What do you think about those? I think they're really, you know, they're certain. They're not going to be. Let's say what? How can I say it? Let's let's put it this way. I helped found the bug store, which was a predatory insect store, but realistically, they're not going to get rid of all the problems. But an insecticide doesn't either. So I think the, the, it works good, just so you're realistic on what to expect, you know, from that. I mean, like uh, aph- aphids. Will they will they get attack those guys? Uh, probably, I would go for ladybugs. For the aphids, because ladybug larvae is called an aphid lion, and they really go after the aphids tremendously. So look for ladybugs, and then look for, you know, aphid lions, and that's just baby ladybugs is what it is. That's that's great, man. It really helps me out. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Well, great. Well, thank you. And now let's see. How about uh, Steve and Imperial? Hi, Steve. Hi. How are you doing? Very good. Good. Hey, just a quick question about those blackberry um, bushes. Uh, should I be pruning those back at all? Yes, especially the okay. older ones that stop producing fruit. Cut those all the way to the ground. The other ones you can cut. It may be if there's new growth already emerging, I probably wouldn't cut them this year. I'd wait till next year before the new growth begins, sometime around Valentine's Day. Okay, so in February or so. Okay. Right. So this year, just leave them alone, and next year, get them. Yeah, as long as if they've started emerging the growth, what you're going to do is, you know, this these are the type of plants that set uh, flowers slash fruits on new growth of this year. So if you if they've already started growing, then they're already kind of getting a scenario set up where they're going to start producing. You prune them, and then you're going to have no fruit. Right. Okay. Gotcha. All right, thank you very much. Yep. And let's see if we can get another call in. Lisa lives in the city of St. Louis. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Mike. Happy anniversary. Hey, I am calling because I have tried to plant the uh, ground flax, the the purple, white, and dark purple ones every spring, and I don't have any luck with them. Do you have any suggestions? Now, which plant is this? The creeping flax. Oh, creeping. It has to have an extremely well-drained soil. I mean, extremely well-drained, almost like you could take a pitcher of water, pour it in the area. So, in other words, a huge amount of sand, rock garden circumstance, those type things. If it doesn't, it really gets some huge amount of rot, and it just eliminates it and kills it off. So can I go into the garden, dig up a bunch of dirt, throw rock and sand underneath it to help that drainage, or... You could certainly do that. I mean, use traction sand. Don't use sand like playground or, you know, Playground-type sand stuff. So traction sand's bigger, and pea gravel would probably be the best as opposed to rock. Mix it in with the existing soil. So when you you look down, once you finish mixing this together, you can see some of the pea gravel. You can see some of the sand all on the surface. So traction sand, or what did you call the sand? Yes, traction sand. It's what they use, you know, in the wintertime to help, you know, people on slippery roads and that type thing. So just so can I get to that like, at the garden know, store? Or? Yeah, or go to like home, you know some of the big box stores, right? And they'll have bags, fifty pound bags of traction sand. So it's just it's bigger granular type sand. 
because a lot of times what happens is if you use a small granular sand, guess how you make bricks? Clay and little sand together, that bakes up to be bricks. That's why you don't want to use that stuff. Okay. Does it care how much sun it gets once it's planted? Full sun all day long, every day is best. Even after it's done blooming? Even after it's done blooming. Mm, that could be part of my problem. Okay. Hey, thank you very much. Appreciate yeah. it. Because, I mean, the the plant has to have the sun to be able to be healthy, regardless of blooming is great. But, I mean, the leaves and the overall health of the root system and everything else is more important. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. Yes, folks, we love the plant material. It's so nice to see see some of the magnolias and some of the other things in bloom besides the bulbs. Oh, I love the bulbs, too. But this is a time of year when, you know, we're, we're buying plants, whether they come in pots, whether they come in cell packs, whether they come in flats. It doesn't really matter. Uh, find out what you need to do to recycle those. There's some recycling locations. So you can go to the Missouri Botanical Garden website, that's www.mobot.org, to find the collection site. So that plastic, why not recycle it? A lot of times that plastic can be turned in, mixed with sawdust, and turned into artificial wood. And then that artificial wood can be used organically, doesn't hurt your plant material or anything else, to create raised beds. Also, when you're out and about, why not buy some extra plant material and then give it to Gateway Greening or Brightside St. Louis or other community gardens that can be used, they can use the plant material. So why not, you know, share your love of the outdoors and plant material with some major organizations or, you know, public locations? Wentzville is where Keith lives. Hi, Keith. Hi, Mike. Hey, is there anything that the homeowner can uh, use to check just the pH of the soil? Does it always have to be sent in? No, no. There's actually, you know, a, there is a way to test it. And so you can just base, go to your, I don't know if every, go online and look for a you know, pH tester. And so you just stick it in the ground and it'll tell you what the pH is. Oh, that sounds a lot easier. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, my friend. Certainly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, that's actually what the lawn doctor does when they come to your home the initial, uh, let's say, visitation, they're going to find out what your soil pH is. So let's go now to central Illinois, and that's where Kay lives. Hi, Kay. Good morning. Hi. Mr. Miller? Yes. Okay. Uh, uh, two, two years ago, I had some professional landscaping done, and I have some plants. It's L-I-R-L-I-R-I-O-P-E. Liriope. Yes. And so it's a and, ground cover. Yeah. And uh, several plants of it in on the south side of my house, and it last spring it was all dead, very right. dead, and they replaced it, and it looks to me like it's dead again. Am I supposed to cut that off? Yes. So liriope is not evergreen. So in other words, the winter will turn all those blades brown, so you just cut it off, and then new growth will reemerge. Is, is now the time? Yeah, before the new growth begins, so you don't end up cutting the tips off the new growth as it's coming up. So you could do it, you know, you could have done it earlier. You could have done it in the Ides of March or, you know, sometime in February or soon, you know, if we have some warm days coming anytime after Valentine's Day, so you won't have any frost damage. But yeah, liriope does not, it's not an evergreen ground cover whatsoever. Well, I realize that, but I thought it would come back, but last year it did not. so. So, I mean, before they replaced it, so they didn't come back, it didn't come back, so you waited till like May or something? 
They waited till later, yes, yeah. whenever they got to it. So, yeah. yeah, well then, hopefully they did, hopefully they planted this correctly because that sounds like maybe they didn't, let's say, loosen the root system before they put it in the ground or something like that because liriope is pretty tough stuff. There's two well, different major types. One really is invasive and fills in spaces. The other one just grows as little, you know, more or less the clumps that, you know, the size it originally bought. Right. That, that That's probably the kind I have, but it, it uh, you know, I, I, it's, it was a professional landscaper and, you know, they have a good reputation, so right. I think they probably planted it correctly. So. Yeah. So. What about fertilizing it? Should I be fertilizing it? Yeah, I mean, uh Probably once a month, once the new growth starts, and stop fertilizing it. Uh, oh, sometime, let's say mid mid to late June, maybe that would be the last application. So just cut it off, huh? Yes, cut it off. Don't cut it too close to the ground because the new growth may be coming up and you're not conscious of it. So right. leave a stub about, uh, let's say, an, between one and two inches. Well, thank you very much. Yep. And let's stay in Illinois to save gas and go to Carlisle. Dee Dee, how are you? Hello. Hi. I I have uh, tulips coming up, mm-hmm. and they are real slow in coming up. Should I put fertilizer on them? Mm-hmm. And also, I want a flowering vine that grows fast besides a clematis. Could you give me one? Thank you. Probably if you're looking for a fast-growing vine, I would just use like morning glory or moonflower or something like that. So in other words, an annual vine. There's not really any fast-growing perennial-type vines. They take a couple years to get established, you know, f- to do that. So just realize that. And as far as the, s- the slowness of your tulips, a lot, it just depends upon exposure and everything else. So as long as they're coming up, they look healthy and everything else, yes, definitely go ahead and fertilize them. You can start fertilizing them as soon as the s- growth, the leaves start coming up to the surface, and then you fertilize them once a month until the leaves start turning brownish or yellowish. What kind of fertilizer? Uh, just an all-purpose type. It doesn't really matter. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, like, a, you know, Scott's, I personally, I feed mine with the powder you mix up in water, and I just pour the water on them. Let's see if we can get to Phil and Baldwin. Hi, Phil. Hi, how are you? Good. Hey, I have a couple questions. Um what pre-emergence should I put down now? Is this a, a proper time to put those down? For yes, leaves? you got between now, now, and, and mid, another week or two. And that you can just go to your favorite garden center. Whatever pre-emergent they have should be fine. Don't use preen though. Preen is for be- bed spaces. Get one that's for lawns. Okay. Now I do have uh, zoysia and a mixture of fescue. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Nope. So. Any type of pre-emergent without the fertilizer, or yeah. does it matter? I uh, personally, I you know, I don't like to mix them together, but it should be fine. You, it, this early, you won't hurt your uh, your, your cool season grass, and you certainly it's a little bit early to fertilize the zoysia, but you should be fine. Okay, another question on this fertilizer. I know there's a human waste um, component that I think comes out of Ohio that uh, doesn't burn, you know, your lawn when you put it down, if you over over put it down. Do you know what I'm talking about? No, I don't. Sorry. Okay. Um, now, in my garden, I also have those purple weeds. How do I get rid of them now if I want to plant? You're going to just, you can pull them out. They're real easy to pull out, or you can just go out there okay. with an herbicide and kill them. Okay. Okay. I got gotcha. you. 
All right, sir. Thank you very much. Yeah. I appreciate your uh, your help. Thank you. Yeah, sorry, I don't know a human waste, you know, fertilizer. So, I mean, there's all kinds of organic type fertilizers. But uh, thanks to everybody for calling in. I greatly appreciate it. And uh, so nice to see, you know, things in bloom. Things are really perking up. And thank goodness. So, Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline. I will see you. When? Well, I think it'll be next Saturday. Enjoy the warm weather. Uh, This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.